So rather than just buying because you have it, what do you really want? What really brings you joy? For me, the more I do this, the more I realize experiences, connections and people, that's my awesome stuff. And things hold very little value. If anything, I feel a thing almost holds me back from, from what I want to be doing. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Awakening Her podcast. Today I'm sitting down with David and we are talking about all things money manifestation, mindset, practical tips and strategies, as well as his book that teaches kids about money and about only buying the awesome stuff. I know you're going to love this episode and without further ado, let's welcome David onto the show. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. I am so excited that you're here and that we get to bring everyone this beautiful episode today. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to this as well um, and uh, really excited. It's going to be awesome. So why don't you start by sharing with everybody a little bit about you and who you are and where you're from? Sure. So funny enough, where I'm from is the same little West Coast Island that you're from, which is crazy. Yeah. So I'm in Victoria and you're hour and a half drive north of that or two hour drive in Qualicum. So, and we didn't know this previously. So, which is crazy. So yeah, so that's sort of that. exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and I grew up on the West Coast my entire life. So I grew up on Northern part of the island and for any of your audience who hears island and is thinking small, which I get a lot, it's not a small island. It's, I don't know, four, uh, like seven hours tip to tip, something like that. It's, it's a big island to drive. So when people think island, they think small, but it's not. It's a big island, um, but it's, you know, your, your Pacific Northwest, you know, big trees, rain, lots of beauty and lush. So, so yeah, so I've grown up here all my life. Where where I come to into play here is so my background um, has been in you know I did a computer science degree and a business degree and so I've been in sort of tech and then finance and marketing and over over time I've sort of shifted away from that in the last three years I've been really focused on writing a children's book about money. And the seed of that actually came from wanting to teach my young boys, who I think are sort of close to your, your kids as well. My guys are nine and 12 now. And so they're, you know, three years younger than that when I started, but teaching them just some of my, I, some of the, my concepts and ways that I, I view money. And, and that's sort of evolved to this graphic novel. That's this fun adventure where kids can learn these concepts in an easy, fun way. And there are actually life lessons that'll last their entire lives and, and something that'll stick with them. So, so that's, that's what I've been working on and super passionate about the last few years. I, I just love that. Thank you for, first of all, bringing this message that we're going to get into and, and what your views are on money and also being the type of parent that creates new patterns, because I think money is one of those things that 
the understanding around it, the belief around it has really changed throughout history, right? And it's, and it's evolved and changed and, and there's darkness and there's light and there's all these beliefs and stories and everyone has different energy and beliefs about money. And, you know, so a lot of our generation were taught by parents who were from more scarcity. I don't know where your family's from, but, you know, I had family in war and blah, blah, blah. And I know my grandparents had a lot of scarcity, had a lot of lack, a lot of poverty. They pass some stuff on, you know, some junk that we do (laughs) to our parents, our parents' generation or my parents. And so we're kind of in this place of having the ability to dissolve and change the meaning of money for our kids. So that's something that just as you're speaking, I'm so present to, and I, I love it. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what is, what is your take on money? What are you, you know, teaching your kids and what kind of is the base of the book? Yeah. Well, first off, I mean, so where it started was I was always fascinated with money even as a young kid. So I remember reading The Wealthy Barber when I was 11 and always, you know, being a saver and thinking about money and looking at money. Like I saw it as a means to an end. And so it was one of those things where, where I've just always, it's, it's always been a part of, of my life. But now looking back, I realize how much of it is just noise and spinning my wheels. And really it comes down to basic habits and mindset more than anything. So everything I've, I'd read and learned and done, I mean, I've done stocks, day trading, bonds, investing, real estate, my own business. So I've, I've done all the avenues uh, to create wealth and looking back if I take away all that noise, it really just comes down to a few basic habits and how you think about money. And that's going to have the largest impact on how money shows up in your life throughout your entire life. And that's, that's what I want to teach my kids. And I think when we think about money, a lot of people, because I've always loved it, I notice immediately their eyes sort of gloss over, they get a little bored with the idea, they don't want to talk about money and hear the details. And it's because they think it's, it's math and it's numbers and it's stuff that they got to figure out, but it's not, it's, 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 it's your feeling around it and a few simple habits and that's it. Mm, Yeah. It's, it's funny when you're saying that some people, they just don't want to talk about it. And that's, I think an aspect of what I was mentioning with the older generation is I see that, that like, you don't talk about money. And, you know, my, my husband experienced that a a bit with his parents that he shared that we didn't really talk about how things cost, how much things cost. And that's my business, not yours. And there, there is a lot of they either get uncomfortable. Why are we talking about this? Or there's also sort of the new wave of people that all like they're obsessed. It's like, I just want to make money and 20 K months and this much, this and millionaire by the time I'm 30 or, you know, so either way on the pendulum, there's a lot of like, um, energy around it resistance in some way. It's like, I desperately need it. Cause it's going to save me. Or like, I don't want to talk about that. That's weird. Um, so why did you, how did, how did you come to that? Like, how did you come to realize that it wasn't just about the stocks and the bonds and the math and sort of luck or whatever, or hustle or whatever you thought before, how did you kind of make that transition? Was it the books like the wealthy barber and that type of stuff that opened you up? 
So reading The Wealthy Barber, for example, as a young kid, you get this idea of, you know, saving and compound interest. Mm -hmm. As a young kid, it doesn't, you don't really realize how powerful that is, or you do, but you still feel like you have time. But really that, that is huge. So when I talk about habits, uh, those habits of saving and letting compound interest do its magic really do have a massive impact. I mean, you could have, so that the stock markets traditionally return 10%. So we're going to talk a little bit about numbers, even though people hate numbers, but I'll use big, easy numbers. So 10% average return. If you took 20% of what you make at any moment and start investing that within 17 years, that money is basically covering your entire income that you're spending. And that's at any income level. So whether you're making 25,000 a year or 25 million a year, it doesn't matter. The percentages work the same. And it's such a short period, 17 years, and your income is basically replaced with your investments. So mm-hmm. that's that's something we don't usually think about or talk about. We feel scarcity, like you, you mentioned, but we don't realize that that early habit will have a massive impact. So everyone's talking about, like you said, the side hustle, how do I make more money? I have my job, plus I do this. Or should I invest in this? Right now, everyone's talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum. All those are ways to make money quick. (laughs) And that's what people are trying to do. How do I make, how do I double my money or become a millionaire tomorrow? Mm. But without any of that, and just the habit of putting 20% away in your 20s, by the time you're 40, you would already have enough money to not have to work anymore, if that was your choice. Wow. (laughs) As I scramble to my phone to start putting money in my savings. (laughs) Um, That's that's incredible and beautiful. And it also brings up the whole, I notice in life that humans are really programmed these days for short-term gain and it causes long-term pain. And I think that that's why we have, you know, addictions or we want to just bolt from our uncomfortable emotions or eat our feelings or whatever's going on. And so that's another sort of example of like, if you put a little bit away now, not so much that you're, you know, it's just 20% or whatever you're saying, which is a lot, but I I know that I put away 10% personally talking about numbers, um, into a couple different savings accounts and whatnot. But I know that at first it felt like, oh, I have to give up my money. But when I see it building, I go, Ooh, I get to put more in there. And it's not, you know, you learn to live with the amount that you have, no matter what. So putting it away is like this, we resist it because right now I want to spend my money. It's my money. But, you know, in 17 years, that's not very long. It's a a long time when you're a kid, but when you're an adult, you go, oh, (laughs) if I did this for 17 years, I mean, we have mortgages that are 30 years, 40 years, whatever. So um, yeah, like doing little bits at a time for that long-term gain. I really like that. Yeah. Well, and the habit, and the reason I mentioned habits is, because any of us right now, including your listeners, if I said spend 20% less today, nobody's going to like that. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that is not fun. But if you get into the habit of it, so especially yeah. when you start in your 20s, or even if you start today and you're like, okay, I, I'm not going to be able to do that. But every time I get a raise or I get this, I can start that habit now. You don't feel that pain. And the reality is it didn't make a difference. The more I make, the more I spend. And Mm -hmm. you just easily just 
ramp that up. And it doesn't necessarily bring you more joy, but you start spending more. I'd have a simple rule like, you know, always save first. And it uh, it takes away any any worry about budgeting because your savings already looked after. You don't have to worry about budgeting because you didn't, you already looked after your savings in your future. So all these other things extrapolate out a lot, that one simple habit and starting it. And, and like you said, you won't, I guarantee a year from now, you won't even know where that money went mm-hmm. or what you spent it on previously. So from your perspective, how does mindset come into this and really allow you to do that? For sure. And just real quick, one last because really the book is around mindset. So that's what I'm going to get excited about. And we're going to go right into it. But one last thing, just back on the habits, because people are always like, how do I make more? How do I make more? And it is simple. It is just that saving. So that same point where, you know, say in, within 20 years, your money's covering all your costs at 10% money's doubling every seven ish years. So if you keep on that path, in 27 years, you would actually have twice as much money, making twice as much. So that's where compounding, that's where you start really seeing those massive gains. And then now, so now we'll get into the, the mindset. The first rule I teach isn't saving first. And, and there's a reason for it. The first rule I, I teach is based around the mindset. And it's this idea of only buying the awesome stuff. And so I know you're even mentioning just in our, our brief conversations that that sunk in a bit. The idea about only buying the awesome stuff is really knowing what's important to you. Because what happens is we're, we're raised to just buy on autopilot. So as you said, if you had $5 in your hand as a teenager, you would there's a million things you can spend it on. And the last thing you would do is not spend it. <laughs> you've got $5 to spend. Why would you not spend that? But a better question, and this is around the idea of only buy the awesome stuff. So rather than just buying because you have it, what do you really want? What really brings you joy? When you look around your house, what are the items that bring you joy and smile, a smile every time you see it? Or the memories where you're like, those are the memories that I hold on to. And once you start looking at things from that perspective, then you'll start seeing everything from that perspective. So then when you go to buy something, it, it's it's comparing that and that feeling and how much joy that's going to bring you compared to these other things that you know from past experience still bring you joy. Mm. Oh man, I love that. And I, since our com- our first conversation, it definitely, I was telling, um, I was telling David this before we hit record that even just hearing only buying the awesome stuff, it backs on thoughts I've had and things that I've done and realized like how many times have we bought a shirt or something on sale and it stays with the tag on. And there's even been times I'm sure people have had this or something similar where I've ended up donating it. And I'm like, I didn't even wear that, but I bought it because it was five bucks. It's like, Ooh, something shiny five bucks for a shirt. It's great. But it brought me no joy. And in fact, it was in some ways a waste of money because I didn't even use it. Um, and I, and I notice within myself, just sharing very personally is like, when I get extra money, 
I'll have this, this list. I even have a list in my phone of the things that like in my dream life, like the bigger scale things like furniture for my office or something that's, you know, bigger, but really a huge soul desire, someone to help me clean my home. It sounds funny, but it's a soul desire. So I can spend more time with my kids so I can spend more time doing the things I love, but I get the extra money. And without the conscious rearranging of the thought, I start spending it on stuff that aren't those things. Cause I'm almost like, I don't want to spend $300 on a nice chair for my office. I'll just spend 20 here and 40 here and 50. And it ends up being probably the same, if not more money on stuff that doesn't light me up because I'm almost avoiding the bigger investment. Cause that comes from lack. Do you know what I mean there? Do you see that in people or something like that? For sure. And that's why this is so amazing. So, so just in that story itself. So when I mention the awesome stuff, things come up, like you mentioned the furniture, because that sounds like the awesome stuff, but I can watch you because we're actually seeing each other right now. So for the audience who's just listening, they, they, they can't see the, uh, see your body reaction. But when you talked about the furniture, you just talked about the furniture. But when you talked about someone cleaning your house, you had more time with your kids. Mm. <laughs> all of a sudden, like you could just see the physical change. And that's exactly what I'm referring to. Like we get used to thinking of what we really like or what we want or what we should say or what sounds good. But really when pushed, you can see it on someone when they're talking about something they really care about. Mm. And knowing that everything you're spending that's not towards creating that time so you can spend more time with your kids isn't awesome stuff. Mm. Bam. I love that. I can feel that truth in my body. Mm -hmm. So how do people start to get in touch with the awesome stuff? How do we kind of start that process? It's, it's exactly that. It's the reflection. So starting to think of what, not what you should say or what you think you want, but what, what gives you that sort of that full body? Yes. You know, that you can just feel, you know, you know, that smile, like, as soon as like, even now seeing you, you can't not stop smiling. So, <laughs> so, you know, you're thinking about something that really resonates. Mm -hmm. And it becomes easier, because then you start seeing it. And that's that whole idea of, of, of lack that we have. Once you start realizing what's important, and going after those things, you don't then start feeling like, yeah, but I can't buy the furniture or if only I had this car or if I, if I could do this or buy that, like those things don't hold as much power mm. because held up in the light of what we just talked about, like you have that time with the kids, it doesn't, it doesn't have that same luster. So you not buying that never feels like lack. It's a decision because it's not something you really care about. Mm. And that's the reality. I freaking love this. This is so good. And it's so good applied to money because, you know, it's just such, it's so needed. We're always spending, we're always, you know, a lot of us, a lot of people feel the lack or the weirdness around money and don't allow ourselves to buy the things that truly light us up. And as you're talking, I'm like, okay, I've had someone to clean my house so I can spend more time with my kids on my soul's desire list for like 
six years. I've hired a cleaner once or twice, but then went back to like, well, ongoing, that's a lot of money, right? So it's so interesting. I just really love that you're bringing this up today. And I know there's going to be so many um, light bulb moments for people. So when you are getting to these, I call them like soul's desires, like the things that spark joy, the things that light you up. So how do we kind of go through with it? Yeah. I mean, and inspired action works. I mean, a lot of this is just, again, removing those emotions around it because there's a lot of, we have so many blocks in so many ways. So even when you talked about this, you didn't preface the furniture with anything, but you did preface a cleaner is like, this is something ridiculous. This isn't something I should be doing. I know mm. you're all going to make faces. Like there's a, there's already a block there mm. and, and a bit of, you know, guilt around that concept. So, so just the awareness is a big piece because once the awareness comes, just things start falling into place and you see it from a different perspective. So, so there isn't an, a perfect time. It's just being aware all of a sudden that framing you're going to start looking at it differently. But I will say that knowing what that is. So when we talk again about mindset, mindset so much with uh, manifestation and intuition and all these things, it's all wrapped up in the same, same idea. So with that, for example, knowing what your end goal is right now, you've got this huge list, but it's not really resonating, but that is resonating that will shift how you even look at earning money and what you're doing work-wise or how you feel about your career or any of those things, because now you really have a reason all that, whether it will immediately have a result in your earning potential or what you make or what comes in. I can't say that for sure, but I'd be very surprised if having that as your meaning and your why doesn't have an impact on what happens today. Mm. I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, when I hired people to help me in my business, it was one of those, it was kind of like the cleaner. It's like, I don't, um, I don't want to be doing all this, but I also don't want to spend 12 hours in my office every day. I want the help so that I can be living my life and be there for dinner. And a lot of the stuff is about kids. Cause right now I have little ones, right. Or just more time for me. Um, but it, it gave me a new motivation to work because it wasn't just about me. It was these beautiful people that were giving their hours. And even I do this now, I've talked about this on the show. When I pay bills, I make it a very sacred, grateful time where I think about, even if it's myself phone. I think, what has my cell phone been doing for me in the last month? It's allowed me to connect with clients. It's allowed me to do this and that, whatever. And I think about that. So I think that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Is, is that energy sort of shifts when you're motivated by something that lights you up in your soul rather than just a bottom line or some stuff you want to buy. Is that what you mean? Exactly. And that's, what's so amazing is because that mindset, it, it, for people who don't get mindset, it does sound like something that they, it just, it can't be that easy, but it truly is. And it's the difference between me telling you to save 20% and you're thinking of all the stuff you can't buy now and you're saving, but you're being a good person and you're saving and you're just, you know, you're just sort of stuck with this, like it's lack, but, but it'll pay off in the future and I'm good for this. And everyone else who doesn't save is bad. It's just from that feeling to, all these things you're doing and having and attracting your life and buying, and you don't even notice 
what you're missing because those things don't have that they don't have that hold on on you anymore it shifts that whole focus and so this whole thing isn't from a feeling of lack it's what really lights you up what's really important and going after that and i'm sure most people when they start looking all of us and myself included i can look at things that didn't spark joy didn't bring me happiness that i've spent time and money on and could have been cut from from my life and and moved moved elsewhere or be part of that savings like it's it's just a slow perspective change where you start really leaning into what's important to you and and what i find for me and it's not everyone but for me the more i do this the more i realize experiences connections and people that's my awesome stuff mm-hmm. and things hold very little value there's very few things for me and again it's going to be different for everyone but that really really do much for me if anything i feel a thing almost holds me back from from what i want to be doing mm, yeah i agree for me it is people and experiences as well um it's not it's sort of related half related but my husband and i we don't do presents for each other for birthdays and anniversaries we actually collaborate on experiences so sometimes he'll surprise me and take me to a cabin or i'll surprise him and take him on a trip but often we'll say like what do you want to do for your birthday and we'll kind of come up with this fun adventure we could do together or hiking or camping or something because we i've acknowledged that that like I know you would buy me anything I need if you, if I wanted it, but let's do something together and having young kids, it's like getting the kids taken care of. And we can go out even just a day trip is so much more meaningful. And in my memory bank than that thing he could buy me. And we both just acknowledged that way early on. It was like, are you that way too? Let's just do away Christmas, everything. Let's just together create experiences. Or there's times where we've bought one bigger thing for the house, but it's something that we both really want. Um, and kind of went in on, but generally it's experiences and it is so much more meaningful. That is definitely my awesome stuff as well. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be interested to know how you teach your kids this because my kids are similar ages. Um, mine are 11 and almost eight in like a week. And then I have a two-year-old, but, um, how do you, how do you teach this to kids? How do you help people teach this to kids when it comes up? And also what age do you start talking about money and and how does that language and dialogue change as they grow up? Because we talk to our kids different when they're three than when they're 13. So I'd love to hear anything about that that you want to share. Yeah. I mean, first, and when I'll just mention, put this out there because we both talked about experiences and, and there's going to be some people listening that experiences isn't their thing. And first off, we charge money with so much emotion. There is no right or wrong. So if it's experiences for me, but you know, gold watches for you, that doesn't make one better than the other. It's, it's, it's just knowing what really does light you up and what's important. So, so knowing that's a big one. And then with our kids as well, we can lean them in this direction, but there is, there's almost a hundred percent guarantee that their awesome stuff is not going to be stuff that you're going to be excited about because it's not your awesome stuff, but that doesn't matter. It's that reflection. So, but going way, way back to where do you start? At a very young age, there's so much taboo around talking about money. Like I can have extremely deep conversations, personal conversations with people, but I'm never going to ask them how much they make or what they earn 
or how much they have in their bank account. We don't talk about that. We talk about everything else, but not that. So a very good starting point is at least with your kids and within your family, start letting them know the cost of things and not from a position of like, we have this and aren't we lucky or we don't have this and they do just, just pure facts. How much do things cost and what is it? Cause we expect our kids to be these amazing, you know, people with money as adults when they don't actually even know how much things cost. They don't know what your house costs. They don't know what that trip costs. They don't know what that meal costs. So that's, it's crazy that we'd expect them to go off to university and know the value of money when they don't actually know what things cost. I love that so much. I love that you say, how can we expect them to come out in the world and be able to know how to do these things, whether it's savings or investments, or like you say, just what things cost. I hear that all the time. People say like, it's none of your business. Um, And I've always shared what things cost with my kids just intuitively. It felt right. And so it's interesting that that's your take. And I really agree with it. I've kind of just naturally especially my oldest is very curious, like how much was that? And how much was that? And how much was dinner? And I like to share with her, you know, dinner for the five of us or whatever was like $75 and she's going, what? But just even like acknowledging that. And I'll say to her like, yeah, there's a time and a place. And I love doing that eating out. We celebrate, we, you know, have a meal together. It's beautiful. I don't mind spending the money on that but yeah, it's almost a hundred bucks. And it just, they go, wow, that's like this many months of my allowance or that, you know, and I like seeing that there's part in me that feels like I'm doing a good job as a parent when I'm sharing those things. Well, it's definitely the first step of, of even making these decisions. So how could a kid know what they would rather have if they don't know the costs or, or what's, what they're giving up? And, and so when they're really young and they don't understand what $75 means, because you can start at almost any age. I found when my boys were really young and they would want something, I'd put it in terms they could sort of know. So like that's, you know, that small Lego set you like, because they're, you know, a small Lego set might be like $10 or medium might be like 20 or 30. So I could sort of put it in mind in that sense. So if they're looking at a chocolate bar, like 10 of those is a Lego set mm-hmm. or you know, two of these Lego sets would buy this or, or putting in terms of things that they know that they like, mm-hmm. and then they can make those decisions. So like with the chicken strips, you love that experience and you love doing that dinner. And, and it's possible your kids did as well. But if they knew, oh, if I didn't get the chicken strips, I could have had, like, I could have bought this or it just starts giving them choice. And that's the biggest thing is we don't really have choice. We just think of money as what do I want now? Can I afford it? And I buy it rather than what am I giving up? Cause every purchase is giving up something. And so that's a good start of just, just knowing what things cost, you know, when they bug for that Shirley temple and the parent, you know, sort of, Oh, I, do you know how much that costs? They don't know how much that costs. And even if you told them, it doesn't mean anything to them, mm-hmm. but if they started knowing, Oh, if you, you know, that Shirley temple, two of those, and you could have this toy you've been asking for, well, maybe they wouldn't be as inclined to drink that or drink, you know, order it and not drink it. And then the parents are like, you're not going to drink that. That's, do you know how much that costs? No, they don't know how much it costs. So yes, that's definitely step, step one. 
Mm-hmm. I noticed as soon as we started giving my, our kids allowance and sort of, I don't even like calling it allowance. We have probably an unconventional way of doing it. I, I just kind of, we give them a certain amount per week and we generally expect them to do certain things. It's not you sweep the floor and get a dollar. Or if you forgot to do your laundry, I'm taking away a dollar. It's just like you are part of this house. So you're expected on cleaning day to do, you know, what we're doing. You're expected to, you know, whatever make your bed in the morning, do your laundry and they get this money. And it's just kind of so that they can have that freedom. And now it's been probably at least a year to two. And I've noticed month by month, um, them, sometimes they want to save. Sometimes we go to a store and they'll do that where they're like, Hmm, I could get one of this, or I could get like five of these. And we've had these types of conversations. And my youngest just a few months ago was like, I could get more of this, but I really want that. What do you think? And I was like, well, if you really want that, I said, what do you think is going to be more rewarding in a week? And she like took a second. She's like this, cause I'll be playing with this still in a week. And I was like, it's up to you ultimately, but just think of that. I like to go to my future self and think what would she want in a week? You know, either way, you're going to spend all your money if you do these two options. So what brings more joy? And we do actually talk about that. Thanks Marie, Marie Kondo. What sparks more joy in you? And I noticed them making these decisions of like, Ooh, this is all my money, but I really want it. I've been saving or I really, you know, like go for it, girl, you know? And so it's neat that you're saying that because I definitely have noticed them go through and times they buy something and they hate it. And I feel so bad. Um, my daughter bought like nails, like press on nails and they were like glued on and she couldn't even like do anything. She couldn't write. She couldn't. And she was like, cry. Why did I buy these? And as much as I wanted to save her, I was in my head going, this is great. This is exactly what teaches us what is sort of valuable or what we, where we want to put our, our money and our energy. So I love that step one. (laughs) Yeah. And it, and it has to be, and it is great to see them, you know, learn those lessons. Like I know my, my son, just same thing. He'd have money that he could spend on things. And when you see like those little machines where you put like a loony in and you can get something and they always show you what you can get. And it's always something really great, but you never get that thing. And as a parent, I want to be like, that is the worst thing ever. But no, he really wanted to try this. So again, it's their money, their choice. Let them do that. And then they experience that thing that, no, oh, this is this is garbage. Yeah. This isn't what I wanted. And and so that that reflection, like, and that's really all it is. So even when I talk about mindset and only by the only by the awesome stuff, really the key point is reflection. If you pause for a moment and consider what you're buying, that pause itself, that's that's the practice. What you do afterwards doesn't matter so much. It's that you paused and really questioned, why are you buying this? And is it something you really want? I love this so much because this brings in so many other principles that I believe deeply in my soul and, and have experienced to be true for me. Also your end, like the, the principle of like your energy while you do something 
is what determines the outcome. Like your energy while you're working out is going to determine how your body responds, the energy. And I teach this to new entrepreneurs, the energy while you're actually in your business, creating content or talking to clients or making a post that energy matters more than what the post says, or if there's a typo, or if it's sent at 2am or 6am or like none of that overrides what your energy is when you're in it. Also, as you're spending or considering what to buy or taking that moment matters more than what you're actually buying. It's the mindset in what you're doing. And same with saving. If you're going, oh, fuck, okay, fine, 10%, 10%. I just believe you're going to find a reason to spend it. It's not going to have that end result, that intention. But if you're like sitting there going, Ooh, this is so great. Soon. This is going to be doubling or, Oh, there's, it's just growing so much. I'm so grateful a little bit and look what I'm doing. And that's going to be the long-term success financially that you're looking for. And so I love that you said that it just connects dots for me. (laughs) Well, and with that saving too, so that when you think about the awesome stuff, it could be financial freedom. Like maybe that is your awesome stuff. Like I know for me, that's a big thing, especially with young kids. For me, for me, success isn't any one thing. It's being able to go to my kid's school and volunteer in the afternoon. Having that freedom means more to me than anything else. So, so when I'm considering a purchase, I'm that for me, because that is what's important to me. That's what I'm comparing it upon. Will this is this worth more than that freedom? And in a lot of cases it is, but not all cases. And, and so again, it stops being from this position of lack, but this empowerment of this is what I really want. And then you start seeing those things happen. Like, for example, when you went out for that meal and had this great meal with your kids and they're eating and you're laughing, that's a lot different than going and just doing it because you can, or we thought this money will go, but nobody's really enjoying it. And you're not really appreciating it. And you don't really love it. And then you ask yourself, well, why would, why do we just spend $75 on a meal? Everybody was fighting and we weren't even that hungry and we're tired. It changes that because you start seeing everything from a different lens of what do you really want and, and creating it. Yeah. That is so powerful. I know that the listeners right now are getting chills and seeing things in their life because that is that is so powerful and one thing that i heard once that i just want to share because it really changed my mindset with money is i'm ultimately and this may be different for everyone but just try it on when i think of being abundant a lot of us think or think rich, wealthy, we'll just say that in a money sense, we think of sometimes the things we buy or the trips we'll take or our gorgeous home or our gold plated, whatever. Um, but I almost want to just like place to entertain that when you want abundance or you want wealth, it's not actually the stuff. It's that feeling of freedom. It's that feeling of, I could buy that. Or if our family, someone went out of work, we'd be fine. Or when the kids need braces, we're good. Or if we want a family trip, we can just do it. That is actually what you want, which in essence, or what some of us want, try it on. um, In essence, we want a cushion in the bank. We want a little bit where we're not scared that our kid needs a winter coat or scared that, you know, what if this bounces? 
that to me actually is abundance. When you go under all the stuff I think I would have, if I was a millionaire, it's actually more that feeling of freedom and that feeling of knowing we're fine and whatever's going to happen in the world, if we're out of work or if we're, you know, it's okay. That to me is actually the feeling I'm going for. And that helped me to move out of just spending because I had it and realizing that actually what I'm going for is the feeling of being free. And so I can't find that in this thing. And sometimes I can find it in other things, a cabin away for the weekend. I'm like, oh yeah, this is freedom. This is awesome. But often I'll realize that it would feel more free to keep that money in my bank than it would to buy this thing sometimes. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing is things, what we have to recognize is if, if we're on a path of buying the next, like always wanting something else or a thing, or if I could only buy this, there is, there is no end to that. So you could at any income level spend at a rate that you never have that freedom and you'll see it. You'll see people who, you know, are, are actors and actresses or um, athletes who have this am- amazing wealth and then spend it and have nothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and not all of them, others go a different route, but if you want to spend it, you can't, there's always something. I mean, we just saw it recently with our billionaires racing to go to space. I mean, there's always something bigger and more expensive to buy. And so um, until you really realize what you do want, you there is no end to that chase. And that's, that's the thing is you want, you don't wanna f- always be chasing because there isn't an end. Mm. You just, there's always, you know, another island to buy or a bigger yacht. And you see, and you just, you see it. There's, there is, I have never seen an end to how much someone can spend or how much they want to spend. I mean, we even have it with, if you think of uh, Bill Gates and his philanthropy, he's got all this money and all this wealth. And he quickly realized that is not enough to make the changes and differences that he wants to because there is no end it's you know money will always get spent if that's what you want to do with it there's always fancier shit to buy and more expensive coaches and more expensive vehicles and you also see that with really wealthy people often their life what it takes to sustain their life is so much more so if they do like go through a time where someone loses their job or they're no longer a celebrity that's wanted for movies. Now they have to make like a hundred grand or a million or whatever, just to sustain their staff and their life. Because we like, like you say, we always just spend more as we make more and we'll find a way to keep spending our money. Um, I love that. So what's step two? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we covered step one. Well, so step one is that, so that's where, once you know that, that's great. That changes your mindset and how you look at things. Step two, then you start getting into the habits. If you're, if you are saving, so 10% is what we were taught. Um, if we were of that generation that, mm-hmm. you know, which I think was of the same generation, 10% is what, what, what we were taught, but most of us aren't going to have, you know, pensions or a safety net as we age and we're living longer and medicine's getting more expensive and just 
there's there's more uncertainty. 20% is a safer number. And just like 10% felt like a stretch, 20% is going to feel like an equal stretch, but it's it's what you get used to. Mm. So like, as you mentioned with the stars, if they had 20% less, they would have just bought 20% less. But getting into that habit of that 20%, so a step two, if you can do that, the rest doesn't really matter. It all it all just looks after itself because that saving is there. You will have that freedom. So even at 20%, it doesn't mean that you can, put, like if you don't want to, it doesn't mean that you have to wait 20 years and then retire and never work a day in your life. It can mean a million things. It can mean that that extra saving gives you the freedom to choose a career that maybe makes you know 10% or 20% less and you feel comfortable in doing that because you have a safety net. It could mean that you can do a sabbatical for a year because you have that safety net. Or it could mean that all of a sudden when you're doing your work, you don't feel that pressure of having to do it. You're doing it because you want to. So that saving is the big, that habit, that's going to start creating that freedom. So your choices have less, uh, the reason for your choices is less how much you have and more what would you like to do. So what is the habit or the hat? Like, where do we start with that? Is the habit the 20%? Uh, well, the, so the habit is the saving and start trying to get that as, as close as you can to 20%. And, and if it's one of those things where it doesn't change today, but it's everything that comes in in the future starts going towards that. So, so you can lean into it a little bit more, or if you ramp up slowly, the trick with that though is to not physically touch the money or put it anywhere, have it all automated. So it's right off the top. So if you think of budgeting, budgeting is here's all your money, spend it, and then whatever's left over, save. And that tends to never work because, like I said, we spend what we have. Mm-hmm. So if you reverse that and put it at the beginning, so before you even see that money, instead of being in the mindset of, oh, here's a hundred dollars, it's no, I have $80. The 20's already been tucked away somewhere. Mm-hmm. We get very creative how to spend the money we have. So the habit's just setting up something automated so it's gone and that's looked after. And then that gives you all that space and freedom you're talking about. And then you don't, you immediately shift from that feeling of lack and stuck and debt to, no, I've got this nest egg that I can tap into if, you know, if someone's sick or we need to do something or I got to shift careers or change, you have that safety net mm-hmm. that's already there. And then it just grows and it grows faster and faster. And that's the, the compound interest. So don't think of it as 20 years. Think of it as every seven years, it doubles. Mm. And I love too. I get the, you, you said it brief, briefly sort of, but I kind of get the feeling of like, once you do that, you don't really have to stress about the rest of your money because you are saving your money is now more your money that you're not like, Oh, what if this? And what if, cause I think that eats a lot of our energy is like, okay, anticipating what we might have to spend. And, and, but then we kind of, because of that pressure and that lack, I mean, energetics wise, we lash out and we binge spend, or we buy a bunch of stuff we don't actually need, or we're just stressed and anxious about money all the time. So it almost feels like this method of like, if you do the 20%, 
then the rest of your money, you don't have to stress about it because like you said, not only are you saving, but it's compounding interest and you've got your back basically, um, which is just so, ah, <laughs> it feels so nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, it, and it's almost the only way because if you didn't have that, like if I, I think most people, if I challenge them, like if all of a sudden your income doubled tomorrow, would you change your spending habits? And most of us would immediately we'd buy a bigger house or more cars or go on more trips. We just, and then all of a sudden we just lean into that very quickly. And as you said, that then becomes our, our floor of how much we need to maintain our lifestyle, but not a lot necessarily would shift or change, mm. you know, put yourself in that bigger house five years from now. Do you still feel differently when you're in there? Is that what you want? Especially if you're in that house and you're still stressing about money. That's something I talk about that I call power leaks. Like we have these things going on in our mind that the things we think about before we fall asleep and the things we think of in the morning. And it's like, we're constantly having things that are leaking our power. And I think money's a big one. We're future tripping, we're scared, we're stressed. And if you can just have your back and look at it like that too, like kind of you know, something I'm feeling from what you're saying is it's not just about saving because you should and because responsible people, responsible people do. And, you know, you don't want to be screwed when you're older. Like that to me doesn't get me to save. But when I think of the freedom of having my, having, you know, like you said, if there's a transition in your life or you need to take time off or the kids need something or to take a family trip and know we're totally good, we don't have to stress like that to me is more, more motivation to save. Um, and so I, I, I love that feeling too, is like reframing saving and not just cause you should, but because it creates what creates freedom in your mind and in your bank account. And, and then you don't have to worry about the rest. So if you think of your kids, what do I teach my kids? Imagine if your kids in their twenties started, you know, started their first job and saved 20% from the very beginning, or if you did thinking back. Back when, you know, when you had $500 in your pocket and you felt like you could buy anything you wanted, you know, before families and kids and obligation. So that 20% would have had a zero impact and you still would have felt rich. And if you maintain that to, to where you are today and what that would, what that would mean in terms of your future and freedom and what you could, what you could do. I also think something that you do here is you reframe, um, what it's, it's almost like, like I'm saying, it's like the should and the weirdness around saving and reframing it into something so powerful. And I think that that is missing. I think that people that save, and maybe this is just coming from my own past experience, but people that save and people that are aware of their money, they get labeled as like stingy or cheap. Or we have this idea that if I'm saving for the long haul, then I have to be cheap my whole life. I have to penny pinch. I have to be, you know, so many people are worried about the extra dollar or two here, but you're, you're, you're marrying all of it beautifully. Like you can actually buy the things that are the awesome stuff in your life and putting away that money to have your back later. It's not about stingy or cheap or, or this or that. It's like, it's coming from love. It's coming from good and from light. And it's a way to have your back. Not about if we have all the lack now, when we're 65, we can do whatever we want, which is, I think an understanding a lot of people have. Do you find that? 
Yeah. And that's, again, we keep going back to mindset over and over. The reality is it's not that savers are good and spenders are bad. Savers are just as bad as spenders. It's all how we look at it. So if you're a saver and you're saving from lack and fear, and so you're holding on to that money and you're always like, I'm going to do without, I'm going to do without. That is not any better than the spender who's like, I'm going to embrace life and spend and do all these things. Like it's, it's how you view it and how you feel about it. So savers, savers aren't as good as we think they are. It's how they view it. And that's what I was sort of alluding to a little bit before we started recording, we're talking about teaching our kids to save and how we actually shouldn't be. And it's not that we shouldn't be teaching our kids to save, it's that that's half the lesson. So when we teach our kids to save, what we're really teaching them typically is save so you can buy something more expensive or something more valuable or something bigger. Mm -hmm. And so what we're teaching them is you don't have the money to buy this now. So you have lack. There's something that you want that's better than you have. And if only you can attain that, you're going to be happier. So be a good, you know, good kid, save, and then you could buy that bigger thing later. But in doing that, we don't realize we're inadvertently putting them right into this trap of always feeling like they have less. And no matter how much they save, there's always going to be something else that they're saving for. And they're always going to be trapped in, I don't have enough now, but if only I saved enough, then I could have that thing. It's like lack on lack on lack. <laughs> and then we it's, wonder why they don't save or whatever. Right? Yeah. And, and that's where, and the savers aren't any better than the spenders. Like all of us are feeling lack. So it's the mindset change from lack. So rather than just teaching them to save the important half. So when I mentioned, we're teaching them half the lesson, the other half. And in my mind, the most important is why they should spend. So not here's money. I have to spend it. What do I spend it on? Either saving for something bigger or buying something today. Why would you want to buy that thing? What is it about that thing that makes it important to buy? And once you know that, then then you're not stuck in this feeling of lack. You're stuck in empowerment and knowing what really does bring you joy and what's important. Oh, I love that. There's just so many amazing nuggets in this that I'm going to continue pondering. I know it. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would like to share um, about these steps or about anything else? I know we only got to two steps. I don't know how many there are. Do you want to share more about that? And then I also want to hear more about your book and how we can find it. That's enough of a teaser just to, just to start down that path. And and really, it's a simple book. It's for, it's for kids, but I tried to put inside of it all of the sort of the core universal truths that will apply to adults and everyone. And there isn't much more than that. There's compound growth and there's giving. And I mean, giving is a big part of it, but that comes from Get, oh, you can't give if you're in a place of lack. So it's sort of like, that's the final step of all of a sudden you feel that empowerment, you feel that abundance, and then you can give from a place of abundance and realize the more you give, the more that'll come back to you. Mm -hmm. You can't give from a place of lack and you can't receive when you're not giving. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, receive. you know, it, it's hilarious because it is that cycle. Like I don't have enough to give. And the, I don't have enough is, you know, the stuff I teach, that's what resonates through the universe. And so you always are keeping on being shown the fact that you don't have enough, so you can't ever give. And that was actually one 
thing I used to break my money cycle, I'll say of just feeling like there wasn't enough. And there's a lot of things I've integrated, but that's one big thing is I started giving more and it went against everything inside that was screaming of lack. But what I wanted to show myself is that I can give, I can feel the joy of that giving. And at the end of the day, it's not going to make any difference, meaning it's not going to like make me homeless. Like I had to break that down in my own mind because I would just feel like I didn't have enough and I'd give the bare minimum tip. So I decided to go above and beyond in, in giving donating bonuses, whatever I could do and notice that all it did was add something positive to my life because it filled me with joy. And I know it enhanced my ability to receive. So that's a really funny cycle that we, we get in as humans. It's hard to see out of it when you're in the lack. Yeah. And it's, and it's all the feeling it's got nothing to do with how much you have to give right. It's the feeling you feel around it. Oh, uh, that's so good. Uh, and there is science and they can't, they, they can't figure out the exact reason, but I think it's all just this energy and mindset personally, mm-hmm. uh, but they do, they do know that people who give more have more and mm-hmm. it's not, and it's not that people who have more and then they give, they're able to, you know, remove that correlation and mm-hmm. still prove that giving actually creates more and and I think it's all that mindset because you, you shift out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to, again, in the book, paint that picture for kids so they can see it rather than, oh, if you give, you know, if you give $10 and they just wait by your doorstep, $20 will come to you. It's not that simple. So I try to illustrate in a fun way where they can actually see, oh, this is, this leads to this, that leads to this, that leads to this. And yes, at the end, you're much richer. Um, and not just financially, but financially as well. We need to order this book, everybody listening, especially you parents. So how do we find the book and how do we find more about you? If someone wants to follow you or work with you, um, tell us about your business and how we can find your book. Yeah. I mean, the best place is the website. So the book's the golden quest and the website's thegoldenquest.com. And once you're there, you could um, reach out to me directly. I love talking to kids about this or parents about this. If anyone wants to reach out, I'd be happy to, you know, do a talk or, or do that coaching. Thank you so much for doing this and for writing the book. I can't wait to read it and have my kids read it. I'm definitely getting it. And I'll, I'll put all of the, the link for it in the show notes for sure. So you guys can check it out. Um, it's just amazing. Thank you so much for doing this and for coming on the show today. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. And no, I really, really enjoyed it and love, love what you're doing with your message as well. So thank you. Thank you for tuning into the show. I truly hope that it served you and it means so much to know that there's seekers out there like you on the path, really willing to give it your all and go all in. And if you do find value in the show, I would be so honored if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really actually makes a huge difference to the success of the show. And I just love seeing your words and being supported. So thank you so much. The link for that is in the show notes and also down there, you'll find some links for some free gifts. Oh,